Hello and welcome to Style and Substance, a branding and business podcast for inspired and empowered entrepreneurs. I'm Elizabeth Cairns and together with my fabulous co-host Fiona Humberstone, we're here to help you sidestep the hustle, keep joy at the forefront of your work and champion a more meaningful and sustainable approach to business. We'll talk about everything from purpose to productivity, from colour psychology to creativity, where to start and how to keep going, how to stay inspired, empowered, and more importantly, sane in the process. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, please like, share, subscribe, and keep listening. Welcome back, lovely listeners. We are season seven, 2024. Very excited to be here. We're actually recording this in 2023. (laughs) (laughs) But we have a great season lined up. And today we are going to be tackling imposter syndrome. Yeah. So this is another one of those big ones, isn't it? That we've wanted to tackle for a while it's not something that tends to blight my daily life. Does it bother you much? Personally, no, not really. It definitely comes in to my work a lot. There's a lot of people I think do struggle with it. Yeah. What that says about me, whether I'm just like too narcissistic to experience it. <laughs> <laughs> There's certainly been times in my life where it has reared its head. Mm. It is really sticky for some people. And we certainly have a few people in our sphere that struggle with it and certainly a lot of clients come to me with it and certainly a lot of people have it but aren't aware that it's in play because I think it's one of these things that can be quite an unconscious driver sometimes and until we get placed into a situation where it rears its head and makes itself known it's not always easy to spot. Mm, Interesting okay juicy. (laughs) What is imposter syndrome? So I found a definition that I thought made some sense from psychology today, Mm -hmm. which is people who struggle with imposter syndrome believe they're undeserving of their achievements and the high esteem in in which they are, in fact, generally held. They feel that they aren't as competent or as intelligent as others might think and that soon enough people will discover the truth about them. Those with imposter syndrome, which is not an official diagnosis, are often well accomplished and they may hold high office or have numerous academic degrees. They go on to say that often perfectionists struggle with it and 25 to 30% of high achievers struggle with it. Well, this will make sense as to why I don't struggle with it now. (laughs) (laughs) You're not playing in a big enough pond. (laughs) Yeah, so it definitely can blight the high achievers. And I find that the key piece for me about imposter syndrome and what makes it imposter syndrome rather than just lack of confidence is this fear of being discovered. Yeah, the feeling of being found out almost. Ah, It's like, when will they realise that I'm not really sure I'm supposed to be here, that Mm. all the people around me, you know, seem to think I'm the nuts and actually I'm not sure I am it's that fear of being found out and often in the company of those people like you say that hold you in quite high esteem and maybe mm. I'm not esteem that's why I don't get it <laughs> <laughs> you're held in very high esteem by a lot of people 
so it's that feeling. Whilst it definitely blights high achievers, high performers uh, with lots of those accolades, I think it can also really show up for those of us for whom we might not expect it. You know, we might not be putting ourselves out there in a massive way. We can still be rumbling under the surface. Mm. This fear of being discovered. And then what impact does that have on our ability to function as an entrepreneur? Well, I think it sort of creates a bit of a split often because we would go out there into these spaces or do our thing with the bravado, the confidence, the, the face of it, the, the impression that we're giving. And we're working really hard to keep creating that impression. So it mm-hmm. takes energy to show up like that. Mm-hmm. And then when we're out of those spaces, it can create this kind of seesaw effect of, oh, crikey, what, you know, I'm really not sure how I'm holding this all together. They're going to find out eventually the crippling lack of self-worth and self-doubt that can kick in. So you get those earworms and that ruminating that can go round and round in your head. And it just takes a lot of energy. Mm. Energy, And I think the sort of latent effect of that is that it diminishes our confidence in general. And the anxiety, you know, in the nervous system, the anxiety of getting something wrong or having to be perfect or having to show up can be a real issue. There's an interesting dynamic that comes into play that we might get into a bit deeper, but it can also cause some people to self-sabotage. If we, in the core of ourselves, don't really think we're worthy, deserving, good enough, competent, able to hold this space that we've somehow found ourselves in, yeah by hook or by crook or by luck just pure chance sometimes it's through really hard graft as well but we're still sort of thinking how how actually did I get here someone's going to discover me at some point Mm. we can throw ourselves into situations maybe a little bit underprepared or maybe slightly out of our depth and unconsciously sabotaging ourselves because then the story plays out for us that oh actually of course I'm not good enough I have yeah because it then just reinforces that limiting belief and that's something we kind of have to watch for Mm. because it can be very easy to do that unconsciously Mm. on the complete flip side of that it can just hold us back if we're aware of it Maybe we don't want to put ourselves out there. Maybe we don't step into our brilliance enough. Maybe we don't own the things that we're actually really competent at. Because I think what imposter syndrome does is it creates a sort of distortion of how we see ourselves. So we just don't see ourselves very clearly anymore because we're balancing this projected reality of us that's coming from the people around us or our community or our peers or Instagram or wherever that perception comes from that we're this high achieving wonderful inspired intelligent creative whatever it is Mm. and we're balancing that projected opinion with our own much smaller opinion and we start to just it all just gets a little bit distorted and we can start to gaslight ourselves and then start to diminish the things that we are actually really competent at Mm. so it can be a sort of messy you know, sticky, not very easy to navigate, very clearly field of things. Mm. You know you've got it if you have this sense of, I'm going to come a cropper at some point, someone's going to find out. Or you just feel like you're punching above your weight. Or you, yeah, you just don't really feel like you belong in the circle that you find yourself in. Mm. Yeah, so I'm I'm just listening to that and questioning 
those assumptions that I've made about maybe designers that I've mentored that are having a moment of mm. freaking out. Yeah. I've always seen that as imposter syndrome and I'm wondering whether it is or whether it's something else. I think it is driven by this underlying fear of being found out. Mm. So I think it's this pressure that's created when you're in over your head. You know, so you've got the big project that you wanted to get Mm. and now you're having a big freak out. I've seen situations where every I and T has to be crossed and dotted and we get so lost in the weeds that we lose all sense of creativity and flair and confidence and then that impacts on our own sense of worth and creativity mm-hmm. and and the quality actually of what we're able to deliver so there's bits of that sabotaging behavior as well because then you kind of think well I wasn't good enough to get that job and lo and behold the client's not very happy and yeah it hasn't worked yeah um, I mean that, that makes me sound like I'm a terrible mentor that is not <laughs> It's not what's happening when they're working alongside me. <laughs> uh, no, but I think it's true. And I think it can happen in moments. Mm. It doesn't happen. It's all pervasive. Yeah. So I suppose I've experienced it a lot in my clients, particularly when I was doing a lot more exec coaching. So people who had risen up through the ranks very quickly, found themselves in the boardroom and then gone, oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> So they're in a situation where they just feel where they are. They don't have the right to be. But I think it probably shows up more often for the entrepreneurs that work with, like you say, in those moments where they suddenly go, oh, crikey, am I actually good enough to do this? Yeah, can I actually pull this off? And almost from what I've seen, the energy almost goes in the wrong place. So we put the energy into shoring up sort of proving to ourselves that we've done this carefully rather than really throwing our all into the creativity and building that sense of confidence and resonance and just and also giving ourselves time I think so if imposter syndrome is that feeling of being found out and that that can really clip our wings can't it you know it can Mm. be draining it can it can take a lot of energy it can totally drain our confidence it sounds like a bit of an obvious question but where does it come from I think it comes from a number of places I think the in the moment and the most sort of surface level obvious space it can come from is comparison Mm. looking around and seeing everybody else on our peer level going oh well they're doing it a lot better than I am maybe I don't deserve to be here or maybe I haven't got the chops so I think a lot of it is about looking externally. And I think this is why I rarely suffer from it, because nine times out of ten, I put myself in a very incomparable space. Yes, yeah. And actually, I think that's one of the reasons that if someone does tread on my toes, I find it quite so uncomfortable, mm. because it throws that really sharp light of comparison on. Yeah, so I think at that surface level, comparison is a big feeder. yeah. You look really deeply it's interesting because I was just writing an article for another client on this in a different guise we're talking about transaction analysis which is a therapeutic model personality mm-hmm. and looking at the life's our life script so we all have a life script that's developed since when we were teeny tiny 
in utero actually it starts and it sort of embeds itself within our formative years and then plays out for the rest of our life is the is the TA theory and that script is developed by the messages that we're given by our primary caregivers consciously unconsciously subtly verbally physically all of those things build this picture and because as human beings we really want to be seen heard valued mm. we to adapt ourselves to receive those strokes as they call it today those sort of positive affirmations of our worth and ourself and our parents or our caregivers or those people those really formative adults around us will set up this gauntlet if you like completely unconsciously based on this quite complex web of behaviors and ways of being that are allowed and therefore rewarded and behave that are uncomfortable or difficult for the parent to deal with and therefore get sanctioned or these mm. junctions as they call it in TA comes up and then from that we develop our own internal set of drivers and ways of being in order to get those positive strokes you know it makes sense really mm. in order to survive we'll adapt from our inherent natural nature into this person and in relation to imposter syndrome, a couple of the injunctions are quite core here. If you've been continually fed messages of don't be important, don't make it, it's not safe to do that, it's not okay to do that, and you also have a driver of be perfect and please people, for example, then that's going to get in the way of being able to stand in your brilliance and perform and do these things. And in those situations that perhaps your parents might not have approved of, or you might not approve of yourself in those contexts because it feels unsafe, you're going to start to get this muddling of the signals and this sort of sense of imposter syndrome. So is that a bit like the, oh, she's a bit big for her boots, or exactly that. stop showing off, or stop drawing attention to yourself, it's not about you? Absolutely, and funnily enough, the case study I've just written up was around how these scripts can affect our relationship to money and success. Uh, money mindset is creeping in all pervasive but if you you know if you grew up as I did in a in a working class family where the Jones is next door with the flash car and the expensive holidays and are far too big for their boots he thinks a lot of himself he thinks a lot of himself you know even the traditional careers of teaching or being a lawyer or going to university and getting your life up for someone like me who decided not to do any of that and go slightly road as the black sheep of the family, that could be rife for imposter syndrome or just right. deep-seated beliefs that get in the way of us going, oh, no, actually, I am worthy of this. Mm. So, yeah, so I think there's, there's this external piece of we can be comparing ourselves, but there's also this internal landscape that factors in to everything we do, particularly mm. as getting some granularity and some understanding around those internal dynamics, I think, can be really helpful in liberating us from some of this. It sounds as if everything we're saying here is like imposter syndrome is bad. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes I think it can be a really useful signal because mm. where it does also rear its head is when we're just not in the right space. Yeah, I, actually, that's such a good point. So there's there's some imposter syndrome, I think, that is unwarranted inconvenient we probably just need to bust through it and we should talk about how we do that because we are in the right space and this is something that's getting in our way but also yeah how do we know whether we need to listen 
or not? And then when when is it a good thing? My instinctive reaction to that is we should always listen. Yeah. We should always be tuning in to those instinctive feelings. And I think there's something largely and generally unhelpful about just quashing down and riding over stuff mm-hmm. without really understanding it. Yeah. Because the potential true liberation from it can be lost if we just try and suppress. Yeah, yeah. I think it's always useful to go, what's going on here? Mm. And to sometimes take a good hard look. And to, but to do that with curiosity and playfulness and through the lens of seeking to understand yourself rather than seeking to beat yourself up for it or seeking to dismiss a part of yourself that's trying to be heard. The therapeutic background piece that I have you know, I work a lot with internal family systems, for example. And I can see that imposter syndrome is a part of yourself trying to be heard and trying to keep you safe. Mm. So just shut that child up. Mm. Likely have been formed in your formative years. If you just try and shut that child up and tuck it away in a box under the stairs like Harry Potter, it's going to come out with its wand at some point. <laughs> so the, the only thing I've heard about transactional analysis, that's I think what you're touching on here, is that parent. There's four different voices, isn't there? Is that right? As parent, so the pack model is part of the TA, which is the parent-adult-child model, and it talks about these different ego states. That yeah, is that helpful to talk about? Like, is that? I think with this, it's more the life script stuff, which mm-hmm. is what TA therapists would explore with you to uncover how you developed those different ego states. Mm-hmm. So you've got your nurturing parent, your critical parent. Yeah, you've got free child or rebellious child and then you've got your adult autonomous state and ideally you know all of those states are useful at different times obviously but in the entrepreneurial business context we want to be operating in the reasonable rational choice making confident aware prefrontal cortex operated adult state as much as Mm. we can and I think what happens in with imposter syndrome when these things come up we can very often feel like the belittled child yeah and there might then be another part of ourselves that comes in as the critical parent that tries to suppress that child and just says oh just mm. stop, stop making a fuss like we're yeah. just going to come with this and we're just going to do this and that can play out really badly if we're not there mm. so I think it's always useful to explore it it's always useful to ask the question and then you know, depending on what you discover, it's okay, do I just need to put my big girl pants on or do up my braces a bit tighter and get out there because this is unwarranted. Mm. This is just me trying to play small and recognizing that there is a part of yourself that feels nervous about that and actually turning kindness and compassion towards that and befriending that aspect of yourself is always going to be more successful in the long run than just trying to quash it and ride over it. And if you are a particularly type A personality or a particularly alpha in your energy type personality, it will be very easy for you just to suppress it and ride over it. Mm. It'll come up and bite you on the bum at some point later. In exploring it, it can be really useful to ask, where does it show up specifically? Because it might feel like an all-pervasive space, but actually for most entrepreneurs, there are very acute situations mm. in very specific contexts where it rears its head. 
And does it tend to be task-based or not? Not necessarily. No. It could be in any context. It could just be associating with certain people. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's not the same thing at all, but there's a, there was a mum in Jasper's year at school that just never liked me from day mm. one. And it, and it didn't matter what I did the wrong thing always came out of my mouth when I was around her. Do you know what I mean? You know, when you're just so paranoid that she doesn't like me. Yeah. And and so everything I said was the wrong thing. And, and actually not really the kind of thing I would normally yes. do or say. Oh. <laughs> so I guess it's like the work equivalent of that, isn't it, almost? Yeah, and I think with imposter syndrome, the particular facet of this is, you know, as your definition of it, is often when we're stepping up into spaces where we don't feel we are, we have the competence or the confidence or the accolades. You can go into spaces where you feel out of place. Yeah, I was just thinking that. But it, you're not turning it in on yourself and making it a slight of yourself, are you? So if I was to go to the Oxford Union tomorrow, I would feel out of place. <laughs> But I wouldn't necessarily feel any less skilled in my specific area of what I do just because I've chosen a non-academic path. I think it's when you you feel out of place and you feel less than, don't you? And, And almost like this whole new way of measuring yourself has just come into your vision that you didn't even know was in the game. Yeah, exactly. If we get into the real subtleties and semantics of it. So I could take you to one of my five rhythms dances <laughs> and you would probably feel a little bit out of place and slightly uncomfortable. Extraordinarily <laughs> uncomfortable. That would already be spoiling themselves around. But the thing wouldn't be imposter syndrome. No, I certainly wouldn't feel less capable of doing my job. Yeah. As a result. And it's it's kind of about the job we feel like we're there to do, whatever the role we feel like we're there to play and whether we feel like we're capable of that role in the eyes of the people around us. Mm. It's not just in our own eyes because of this thing around getting found out. How am I being perceived Mm. and am I worthy? So one of the other questions in exploring it that can be really useful is whose opinion am I focusing on? Yeah. Where is this coming from? Is it coming from parental influence? Is it coming from our own internalized sense of that? Is it coming from an external specific individual? Is it coming from a collective energy of that particular space that I'm in? Mm. Or is it coming from a practical, physical competence piece? I would feel like an imposter if someone said, could you come and design my brand identity for me? And I'd be like, no. But I would only feel like an imposter if, if I said, yes, I can, and then attempted the crap shit show. <laughs> yeah. Let's maybe just explore examples for each of those, because I think that's really helpful. I think about an old colleague of mine who went down a particular academic route because her parents were really keen on that academia, and she excelled at it. She became a doctor, um, a PhD doctor, not yeah, a yeah. She became a doctor. She had got two PhDs. She wrote a paper. She got into a research fellowship and was having to um, deliver her findings all over the place. And she said, every time I step into that podium, I feel like an imposter. Really? 
despite wow. having all of the qualifications. Yeah. It was partly because she'd never really felt that she actually belonged there because mm. she was fulfilling the perceptions, the needs, the drivers of her parents and the people around her. So she'd got all of the academic accolade, but it never sat comfortably in her skin. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So even though she's got all of the qualifications to say she absolutely does belong here, yeah, she still didn't feel like she belonged. Yeah, and actually thinking about a recent client, I won't mention them by name, similar sort of example. She has an incredibly impressive 20-year career in a particular industry, had, has built up a huge amount of credentials and kudos, mm. wanting to do something with that in her own space, so not working for big names anymore, but doing it herself. Yeah. Huge imposter syndrome. Mm. That has kicked in uniquely for her also because of her time of life. So she's older yeah. and doesn't feel like she can compete with the go-getters in that space yeah. under her name. Even though she's got all of the skills and experience working for an organisation versus doing it for herself, generates an amount of imposter syndrome. We need to do something around wisdom, don't we? But there is this, such a fetishization of youth and we really don't respect we're older women like we should. There's such a difference between the mums that are in poppies class who all have careers that, you know, you see as many dads. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't at all. You don't at all see as many dads at the school gate as you do mums. But you certainly see significantly more <laughs> than you did when oh, I was right. at school with Ellie, where, you know, 20, well, 15 years ago, I guess, most of the women around that age gave up big careers. And mm. so the knock-on effect of that is we're not seeing many women older women in in big careers are we no and I think it's interesting this thing about the age range so I have a theory and this is not grounded in anything other than anecdotal evidence I think that imposter syndrome particularly for our generation generation x Mm. we're in our mid-40s now is rife for our generation I'm not sure that the Gen Ys, the Gen Zs and the Gen Alphas experience it as much. And I wonder, particularly for women, whether that is due to some of some of the thankful cultural shifts now of younger women not feeling like they have to fight for their worth in the boardroom. Mm. Have to fight, I mean, I'm using the boardroom as a generic term for that ceiling or that place where, you know, that men might traditionally occupy. I think we've parented them differently, though, haven't we? So, you know, millennials and Gen Zs, we've told, can do anything they want. You know, you can be anything you want to be. You can go do anything you want to do. Whereas, I don't know what we were told. (laughs) Be a good girl. Yeah. Keep quiet. Be a good girl. Get on your work. Yeah. Don't show off. Yeah, and the difference between me and my brother. So he's a generation below me. Mm. So he's a millennial. And I don't think he struggles with imposter syndrome, my brother. Mm. Um, He's incredibly successful. I mean, I don't know. I haven't asked him, but he is incredibly successful. But also, if you think about the messages that those younger generations get fed through the media, our formative voices aren't just our parents anymore. Mm. And I think that's 
really key. And you say your brother, so do you think that women suffer with imposter syndrome more than men? No, I don't think they do. I think I come across more women now probably because I work with more women than I used to. But certainly when I was doing much more exec coaching 15 years ago, a lot of it was men. Oh, interesting. Well, and actually that sort of taps into that very patriarchal, just get your head down and get on with it and achieve and don't tell anyone there's a problem. Exactly. And in in some cases, and what I did notice was that it hits men really hard Mm. because the status associated with being able to perform and if you're found out, yeah, consequences are much higher. Yeah, interesting. So a woman being found out for being incompetent doesn't have or didn't have the same cultural backlash as a man being found out for being incompetent because women are incompetent, obviously, aren't they? They're all just well, I was going to say, yeah. And they shouldn't be expected to be able to do that. So therefore, mm. patriarchy has some weird grace in that area. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and Created a whole load of problems. I think for men, no, that fear of being found out, that fight to perform, those drivers that I was talking about earlier of be perfect, yeah, are quite driven in men. Or be strong is the other one. Yes. If you're developing a skill, you know, I suppose you probably see this more with your designers. If a designer is on that cusp of maturing their work or honing their craft and they're just edging into a slightly different space where they might be taking on bigger projects or more developed or nuanced projects or bigger clients and the skill hasn't been really embedded yet to feel like part of them and really part of their process I imagine it shows up a lot there well yeah there's a few levels of that isn't there because you've I always talk to people in Elevate about that conscious incompetence model So, you know, when you start something, you don't know what you don't know. And week one, Elevate throws into sharp context just what you don't know. And that can be an incredibly uncomfortable place. But, you know, what a place to be supported and, and actually to know that in the context of a very safe project where you're not working with a client. Yeah. So, you know, you've got this unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know. And then you've got this conscious incompetence, haven't you, where you really, you are painfully aware of what you don't know. And if we don't move out of that stage quickly enough, Mm. that can be really uncomfortable. And even, you know, in my experience with Elevate, even just... A couple of days of that can be incredibly uncomfortable, but it's also the catalyst for us moving forwards, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. the next stage is conscious competence. So you know what you need to do, but you have to think about it. And then the final stage is unconscious competence, where a bit like driving a car, you just do it without thinking. Mm. I think there's a bit of imposter syndrome down at that incompetence level. Yeah, and I think talking about some of the antidotes to it in that context the particular facet of this imposter syndrome is where you are you are pushing yourself into a space or into a persona uh, or or a practice or or a physical tangible task where you yourself don't feel competent but other people around you 
think you are. So in those scenarios, if I don't know if a designer was showing their work to the rest of the group and they had a, they had a really good reputation within that group already, and there was a high expectation on their work, that could kick it in. Yeah, hundred percent. So I'm just having another thought about what you said earlier about the causes of it, some of the mm. and without wanting to hark back too much to the hustle and composting episode. Mm. I think we can be propelled into spaces which will trigger imposter syndrome in us if we allow ourselves to be carried along by the narratives and the expectations of an industry that mean that suddenly we're charging a lot more for what we do than we probably should be based on our level of competence. Oh, I mean, that for me, that's always been my perception is these income boasty coaches catapulting people well beyond their capabilities and so they just become crippled yeah exactly and I think overcharging for what you do even if you're really good but overcharging for what it's actually worth can create huge imposter syndrome Mm. because you're having to meet the value of that ticket and maybe you don't realize and then of course every time you deliver that work it's going to kick in because you might get found out what if the work isn't worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the other things that can create imposter syndrome is when we are out of our magic, Mm. might have been pulled out of our magic by the expectations of of others or, like you say, a coach saying, oh, no, you should go and do this. This will be easy to sell. Yeah, exactly. And and then that's when it can be slightly hard to spot because we might have the core of our offering or the or the essence of what we're putting out there feels true to us, but there'll be an edge to it or an element to it that doesn't belong there or is pushing us too far out of our comfort zone in the wrong direction and therefore triggering that imposter piece. Yeah, I guess I've seen situations where someone's magic is almost a byproduct of what's being sold so what they're actually selling to clients is you know something that's asked for a lot is easy to sell yeah like a logo or design or yeah or coaching or you know accountancy or anything like that but actually their expertise is not in that their skill is not in that their flair is not in that it's in a a part of that in an effort to make things easy to sell we're selling the wrong thing I so hard to talk about this without breaking confidences but (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's that thing of if you could just focus on your magic, if you could just do that thing that you'd be better than anyone else, you wouldn't be watering down what you do really well. From the examples that I've seen, there's been a, a definite level of incompetence at the things that's being the thing that's ended up being sold. Yeah. Yeah. Which has a hugely damaging effect on your confidence, your creativity, and your ability to do something that actually really could add some value if you would just sell that thing yes and I wonder does it make a difference on the audience I'm just sort of trying on for size things that I do that I would then feel an imposter at if I did it in a different context so I do a lot of writing for my clients Mm. if someone was to ask me to be a guardian columnist 
Mm. Like a massive imposter. Mm. So I wonder whether, even if you're in your magic as well, if your magic is being delivered to the wrong audience. Yeah. Get it back and create. So this is this is quite subtle and quite nuanced. Yeah. Before we look at the antidotes to it, I think there's some other effects that it can cause in us that can be flags to spot to see whether we've actually got this imposter piece going on. What I see a lot is imposters will often copy other people's stuff. Oh, interesting. Not necessarily consciously or mm. intentionally. But there is a sense that they trust other people's take on things more than their own. Yes, such a good point. Or in my world, that would just be being heavily influenced by what's trending, you know. So having a portfolio full of very Instagram-worthy design, mm-hmm. they're not they're not being a lot of substance or process behind that. So uh, what's that word? You know, when you're just sort of floating in the breeze and. So when the new trend comes along, you go with that because that's yes. you don't have that sense of inner confidence within, if you like. Exactly. And then when you, if you track that forward and you think of the cumulative effects of that over time, if you're constantly going to the next trend and it's not coming from you, you're always going to be out of feel out of your depth and out of yeah. your space. Yeah. And I see this with writers a lot as well. And they're writing their own stuff. They're reading a lot of other people's things. And therefore mm. they their voice and then they start to feel like an imposter because they're not quite writing as everybody else is and therefore their stuff must be wrong. Mm. So I think part of the antidote to this is, it's a similar antidote to almost what we've said about in every other episode of everything, really, but isn't it? all these things are interlinked, you know, the copying, mm. the comparison, the imposter syndrome, the income boasting. Yes. Yeah the burnout it's all interlinked that's the thing isn't it absolutely and I think the heart of that is come back to your magic yeah your craft own that space don't ignore it look at it as an opportunity to refine maybe where you've blended the edges or whether you're in the right space It's also useful to accept the fact that at some level, if we're successful at some level, we are going to feel like an imposter. Whether it shows up for us and gets in the way on a daily basis is is another thing. But culturally, women have been made small and held down for a long time. Mm. So this is the very fabric of our womanhood. Mm. It can be a wonderful act of feminist rebellion to just hold your space regardless and just Mm. go nope I'm not having that and to really own your space and just recognize that sometimes it's not our stuff Mm. we absolutely have a right to be somewhere and it's it's other people's projections of their perception of our right not to be there that is getting in the way because I think that has a huge impact so I've worked with some very very competent coaches and speakers for example and when they get into a room of, and I, I don't want to make this about the men, but a room of successful, often men, mm. and particularly, for example, if they're a very attractive woman, they might be standing at the front and the perception, the projected image of the value of that woman on that stage is almost reduced in the observer's mind, in the audience mind, to her femininity or to her looks or to 
her style or what she wears, not so much necessarily about the content. And that weight of that male gaze, that weight of that projection can trigger imposter syndrome when it's really not warranted. Mm. If I just think briefly, if I step into the shoes of a male friend or a male client, because I'm all for the feminist rant, but I'm just trying it on for size from the other perspective, I could imagine that there will be a scenario of a man who maybe is a softer representation of a man, who maybe is a deep thinker, a slower processor, a embodied, quite intuitive masculine man who might feel the pressure from the other perspective to be able to be quick, be responsive, be strong, be assertive, be right there, be right on it, be really out there. And in not being able to step into that space, mm. I imagine that could create a similar example. Yeah, I mean, I think often you're quite enlightened if you're that kind of spirit, aren't you? But maybe could have caused imposter syndrome in the past. Yeah. So any other specific examples you can think of of the things that trigger imposter syndrome? If you raise your pricing incrementally in line with your capabilities, my experience, and I'm not a coach, is that you are not going to be susceptible to imposter syndrome because you know you're able to deliver and you know you you deserve that project. So I think that's one one thing. You've talked about the life scripts, which has never been sort of part of my awareness before. That's really interesting. Um, we've talked about just generally the patriarchy and their influence on this. Mm. We've talked about being out of your magic and how important it is to really listen to that. Yeah, I think the other thing is, you know, thinking about that pricing and flinging yourself up really quickly. If you're not thoughtful enough or planned enough or considered enough or prepared enough, sometimes that can create imposter syndrome. That nicely leads us on to how do we mitigate this? Mm, well, thoughtful planning. Yeah. Like you say, growing and scaling sustainably mm. over time, choosing what you pay attention to in terms of comparisonitis and mm-hmm. where your benchmarks for success from checking out your assumptions I think because a lot of this stuff is an internal head game and we're assuming what people are thinking about us Mm. coming into situations with an air of curiosity and inquiry and checking out people's actual feedback checking out people's real expectations so that you're not creating all of this expectation in your own head about what you think you're there for or what people are expecting of you and just yeah asking yourself the hard questions when it does show up about well is this really what I should be doing does Mm -hmm. this really feed me is it my magic is it my space and then making a judgment call and if it is and if you can own it and if you feel competent in it and it's it's just the haters out there making you feel like an imposter then don't listen to them (laughs) (laughs) and go for it amazing there's one more piece i think that is a really useful antidote and it's a little phrase of words that is i'm not the expert but yeah so i think imposter syndrome really comes in when we are either wittingly or unwittingly projecting ourselves as the expert where we don't really feel like we are yes And that phrase of I'm not an expert, but just by owning the fact that you're not an expert and saying openly, 
this actually, this isn't my expertise. Mm. That's in itself and completely kills imposter syndrome because you're not going to get found out because you've owned it, you've named mm. it. I'm not an expert, but I can find out for you. Or I'm not an expert, so I'll need to go away and think about that. Or I'm not an expert, so I can refer you. Gives you something else in your toolkit because it only kicks in when we fear that someone thinks we're the expert, we're not. Or I think even if you don't vocalise that always, but you just come back to that idea of where is my magic? What value am I bringing to the table here and just reminding yourself of that thing that you're bringing and looking for those examples mm. in your interactions with your clients where you are bringing that value so yeah. yeah maybe you're not across the 12 disciplines and you know that that often is where we can feel this imposter syndrome creeping in where when there's a bit of scope creep and we feel like our job is bleeding across other areas if you can just come back to what it is that sets you apart and the magic that you're adding uniquely mm. that can really help as well and actually give you quite a lot of confidence moving forwards. Yeah, definitely. So lovely listeners, hope that has kicked off the season with some juicy food for thought and we will see you next time. Yeah, looking forward to it. Don't forget to rate and review, by the way. Really, really help and we love it. <laughs> Helps reduce our imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to Style and Substance. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more information on everything we've talked about by heading to the show notes or by visiting our websites at thebrand-stylist.com or elizabethcairns.com. If you like what you've heard, we'd love a review. We're a brand new show and your support makes all the difference. You can like and subscribe as well as giving us what we hope is a well-deserved five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show too, so please do leave your comments, questions or suggestions for future episodes on our blogs. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye.